ESPN Audio and SC Featured presents a 16-episode podcast, Pin Kings. It's the story of two All-American high school wrestlers, teammates, and friends who ultimately ended up on the opposite sides of the war on drugs. Pin Kings is for mature audiences. Welcome to Episode 2, From Farm to Table. The motor vessel five-star bus was was a seizure like any seizure in South Florida at the time. It showed that Alex DeCubis was still running a very profitable, enterprising, and successful drug trafficking organization. This is Paul Pelletier, the former federal prosecutor who led the Alex DeCubis case describing a bust in 1998. He had purchased the boat through um, anonymous bank accounts in Switzerland. He was uh, um, moving money through Swiss banks, through couriers to to um, to outfit the boat, to equip the boat, to smuggle this dope. The boat, as I understood, left Venezuela. It was loaded in Venezuela with cocaine, and um, through after stopping at several islands, came directly to Fort Lauderdale. And this was in 1998. And in that yacht, there was a, approximately 900 kilos of cocaine. Acting on intelligence, authorities in Fort Lauderdale seized the yacht and its 900 kilos of Colombian cocaine. This created consequences for Alex DeCubis. He was responsible for that load. So in Colombia, he would have had to have made amends to the actual owners of that cocaine. So I think from Alex's perspective, it, it, it um, showed that, you know, Smuggling cocaine by boat was still a risky enterprise in South Florida. And my understanding is is that he turned his attention to other methods, at that time, other methods of smuggling cocaine. Kevin and Alex were best friends. Champion wrestling buddies. The heydays of Miami. Alex DeCubis was clearly a kingpin. It's It's a tragic story. The less you know, the more you leave. I wanted to take out the biggest drug dealers. If they were catching him, he's going away for the rest of his life. If they don't, if they don't kill him when they try to capture him. Could you imagine if Kevin has to shoot Alex? He's a sworn federal agent for a drug enforcement agency. Evil goes to jail, or evil ends up dead. Welcome to SC Featured's podcast, Pin Kings, episode two, From Farm to Table. My name is John Fish, and I'm a producer for ESPN. And I'm Brett Forrest, a senior writer at ESPN the magazine. When we left you last episode, it was 1991. Alex DeCubis, a star athlete turned criminal, had disappeared. Only his closest associates in Miami had any idea where he may have gone. Let's fast forward to the year 2000. It's September. We're in Colombia. The police make a major discovery on a farm outside of Bogota. This was, it seems, long after the heyday of the Colombian cocaine cartels. Well, it was. Yeah, if you remember, these groups were really at the peak of their powers from, say, the mid-70s, definitely through the 80s. That's when they were making all those headlines. And, and into the early 90s. Pablo Escobar, the biggest name in the business, even even up until today, I mean, he was killed, it's hard to believe this, he was killed in 1993. And when he was killed, 
for America, it's as if the issue was killed with it. Right. It fell off the American radar. He died, but it didn't mean that groups had stopped manufacturing cocaine in Colombia. And finding ways to get it to market. So one night in 2000, a report flashes across Colombian TV. Apparently, a Colombian police officer was poking around a warehouse in a very rural farm area about an hour's drive from Bogota, and he gets into this factory, and he sees something that he's never seen before. And he's trying to figure out what it is and what he's discovered. We needed to know what was this. This is Leo Aragon, an American who was the head of the Columbia Bureau for the Drug Enforcement Agency. We can assume it, we can believe, think what it is, but we needed somebody that really knew what we were looking at. They told us immediately, just first sight, you got a submarine, and it's a big one. And this would have been a disaster for the United States. A submarine, John, a sub, outside of Bogota. Now, Bogota is about 300 miles from the nearest coastline. Let's understand how the submarine got there. Roll back to 1998. Alex Cubis is a fugitive from justice. The DEA assumed he was in Colombia. This is the heart of the drug trade. He has strong contacts there. He's probably there, right? Yeah, made, made sense. And in fact, sources that we spoke with, they, they told us that Alex was indeed in Colombia and he was living in Cali. Now, Cali's in the southwest of the country, near the Pacific coast. And it, it, it's a bit, it's a pretty big city. A couple million people live there. One day, according to sources, Alex is driving down a road with a partner, a guy by the name of Wayne Dillon. Wayne is from the Florida Keys, a town called Isla Morada. Just like Alex DeCubis, Wayne is a fugitive from an indictment in Miami. They're sitting in a car. A truck pulls up next to them. It's a tanker truck. Tanker truck. Right. At that point, Alex, in his career, he had been experiencing a lot of ups and downs in the drug, drug smuggling trade. He'd make a few million dollars on a project that was successful. You know, he'd send a bunch of drugs up to, up to South Florida and then they'd make it in. Um, but, you know, on the very next load, the U.S. authorities would, would seize uh, a vessel uh, just as they had done with the Five Stars yacht. And they, they took 900 kilos off of that boat, and, and he, was, uh, he was left holding the bag. Local and federal authorities in South Florida organized a task force. It was called No Moss or No More after the famous Roberto Duran fight. Yeah, when he gave up. Yeah, when he said no more. In fact, their symbol is a boxing glove, a, a boxing glove. And this task force was a group, DEA, U.S. Marshals, Boca Raton PD, federal prosecutor. Customs. Customs. The authorities get to work on identifying and arresting new members of Alex's organization. Alex is intent on finding new ways of smuggling drugs. Well, actually, they weren't really new members that they were intent on finding. They were intent on finding all the members all the of members. Alex's uh Organization. Yeah, and be, because the, this task force had been put together, and there was all, there were all these resources uh, uh, set on Alex and his organization. That's exactly why Alex realized, you know, I gotta I gotta find some new ways to to keep this business rolling. Here's Jim Burke, a Boca Raton, Florida police detective. He's the guy who put together and led the No Mas task force. 
I do think that Alex was always trying to look for the, the next way of doing stuff. If it was not involving um, just thinking, Alex was a thinker. Alex is sitting at a stoplight in Cali. It's 1998. Alex and Wayne look at the gas tanker next to them. They look back at each other and they say, are you thinking what I'm thinking? That's our submarine. Right. Isn't that what you say uh, when you when you see a, a tanker, see a tanker truck, truck on the on the road? Yeah, but these these guys that I mean they're they're just thinking about the business all the time because there's so much money to be made and and made fairly easily. But now they've come upon what they think is is the sort of silver bullet idea. And Alex looks at the gas tanker and he sees this little plate on the back of it and it says manufactured by Freuhoff truck. Now that you may recognize that name because the company went out of business recently, but it used to be a major truck trailer manufacturer out of Detroit. And the company just happened to have a manufacturing plant in this tiny agricultural town outside of Cali, a place called Yumbo. Yeah. Gotta love the details here. So Alex, yeah, Alex and Wayne go to Yumbo. They speak with the boss at the Freuhoff plant. They give him specs for this custom-made gas tanker that they want. And you know the boss there, he doesn't know these guys. He doesn't know what's going on here. He he, he you know politely declines. But Alex, he's a big-time drug trafficker. He's got a lot of cash on hand, and this uh, sways uh, the, the boss at the at the factory. And Freuhoff Columbia ends up manufacturing for Alex and Wayne a 100-foot-long cylinder. They cut this thing into three pieces. It's a wild idea. What, what do two guys know about manufacturing a submarine? But it fit Alex DeCubis and his natural interest in skills. When he was at the University of Georgia, Alex wanted to do two things. Alex wanted to wrestle in the Olympics and teach metal shop. He was studying industrial arts or industrial edu- education at Georgia. This is Andrew DeWitt, a high school and college wrestling teammate who hired Alex to work at his family tool business in Miami back in the 1970s. Alex always liked the technology around manufacturing. That definitely excited him. So he always had that mechanical interest. I could see Alex getting a project to try to build a submarine and figure it out and be fascinated by all the equipment. Colombian narco-traffickers had been using all sorts of methods to smuggle cocaine into South Florida. Probably the most colorful method was the airdrop. That's when they would pack all these uh, drugs up and stick them in a a plane in Colombia. And then the plane would fly to, usually to the Bahamas or thereabouts. Kind of in between the Bahamas and South Florida and international waters. Right, right. So they would... They would fly the plane very close to the water. Slow down to stall speed, open a door. Still, that would be about 175, 200 miles an hour. They would open the door, and they would start pitching these bales of cocaine out the door, and they'd hit the water with these enormous explosions. The smugglers are sitting in the middle of the water. They load them into their open fishermen. They then transfer them to a load boat, and they drive them in. And no one suspects anything. Yeah, they take them right into South Florida. Um, you know, they also sent drugs on these these coastal freighters, and they would transfer the packages to smaller boats that would basically do the same thing, just, just take them right into the Miami area. They also sent cocaine on cargo flights. They used mules on commercial flights. Mules are people who would 
ingest the drugs in plastic packets and then pass these out of their body when they reach their destination. There is even a recent story of customs in New York apprehending a woman who had breast implants filled with liquid cocaine. Innovative there, yeah. Well, that, that method, like all the methods, I mean, they, they all have risks. The idea of a submarine was attractive to Alex and Wayne because it cut out a lot of the variables. This is Jim Burke. You don't have to have all the boat captains. You don't have to have the airplane pilots. You just have to have the submarine either being unmanned or manned with one person bringing the drugs across across the country. The narco-traffickers had built semi-submersible vessels before, but you wouldn't really call these submarines. They're boats that are very low to the waterline, and they put a cover on them. They weren't capable of diving to great depths. The Cubist was planning something different. So after Alex and Wayne received the hull from Freuhoff, they need a place to build their submarine. There was a warehouse that some guy that he met, I don't know how, in Cali, Miguel Guerrero, was a nice guy. This is Felix Chativa, a major cartel figure who was close with Alex the Cubist. You want to build that, go ahead and build it. Here's my warehouse, here's whatever you need, you name it. You have it. Used to go to his farms, had so much fun. He had a nice farms everywhere. He was a big drug dealer too. Independent. He didn't belong to no cartel. I never believed in the, 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 in the big project like that. I mean, it was like, but I knew it was going to come true because Alex was behind him. Alex and Wayne set up shop outside of Bogota. They draw up the plans for the sub, which they base on a German World War II U-boat design. This is a long-involved project. It takes them nearly three years. He loves tinkering. He loves making stuff. And, um, and that, was, that was the ultimate tinkering. This is Scott Schirouse, a former high school wrestling teammate and one of Alex's former Miami smuggling partners. You know, he spent $5 million designing and building a 100-foot-long submarine that was capable of going 300 feet deep. And it was like the real deal. They built their own factory to make it. And, they, you know, it was just uh, they had, a, they had uh, housing for the workers and certain days they could go off and party. And it was quite the enterprise. They ended up building the largest submarine any uh, non-government agency has ever built, I suppose. Alex's workers are at the warehouse outside of Bogota. They're hammering, welding, making a lot of noise. He even had a place for them to live next door. It's not exactly an underground laboratory. It's an area remote enough that they can go about their business. Yeah, we've been there. I saw a lot of cows. I saw a lot of strawberries, a lot of corn, not the most happening area. No. It's definitely not a tourist destination. And and I think, you know, the people who live there, they're probably not asking too many questions. Well, it's a factory off the side of a rural highway. Who no, cares, right? Exactly. And, 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 you know, even more so, do you really want to know what's going on there? And, and who's thinking what they're doing? Yeah. But Alex is able to keep things under wraps, I think mainly because of his status within the, the organization, within the trafficking world. I mean, here's Keith Curtis, a DEA agent who held the DeCubis case for years. Alex was so successful, and he had garnered so much trust from the, uh, the Colombian sources of supply that he uh, worked for that they actually, they actually provided uh, 
uh, a secure environment for him. They protected him because he was valuable. Alex was valuable because he was able to help them make a lot of money. How do you build a submarine when you have no experience or knowledge? Good question. When you get far enough along on the sub, Alex and Wayne realize they need some assistance. Okay, now here, here's where the story gets a little bit more interesting because Alex, he's, he has friends everywhere. He always seems to know somebody when he needs something in a particular area. So he's got this friend who's, who's the drug plane guy. He's the guy who gets planes in the United States and brings them back to Colombia for these farmers who are really drug traffickers. And the drug plane guy. Yeah, the drug plane guy. Um, in fact, this guy often he would he would get a plane, a brand new plane. He'd bring it to Colombia. He'd, he'd he'd give it to the guy who bought it, and then the guy would call him the next day and say, "Hey, that plane's great, but I need another one." And he'd say, "Well, why?" And he'd say, "Well, I crashed that one." Because they would load it up with so much drugs that it couldn't it couldn't get off the runway. But anyway, so this guy is Alex's friend, and he's running a lot of his airplane business through the port of Barranquilla, which is on the northern coast of Colombia. And he knows a lot of guys at the port. One of the guys he knows at the port is this Ukrainian guy who had mustered out of the Soviet Navy. Now, this guy, the Ukrainian, introduces him to two sailors from Moscow who had served as engineers on Russian submarines. Alex starts sending money back to the families of these two back in Russia. It's not long before the Russians arrive at Alex's submarine warehouse, ready to get to work. They bring plans with them in Cyrillic, of course, which is Russian. So I don't think Alex is reading that yet. <laughs> no. And when they see what Alex and Wayne have built, they say, rip it out. They got to make some changes. Because one of the things Alex and Wayne had incorporated was aluminum, basically to cut weight to make the, the submarine lighter. But but these Russian sub guys, they told them, hey, the, the aluminum is going to short circuit the batteries on board that, that uh, you need to to run this up. They also tell them that the fuel pipes are too large and vulnerable at compression depth. So they make all these changes. And after a while, it's clear that they're nearing completion of a 100-foot, 100-ton submarine. I think the only thing that was missing was the conning tower. Right, right. Yeah, they had, they had the, a decompression chamber. It's amazing. It's amazing to see. But for them, it was time to focus on what the mission was for this submarine. So they're going to transport the three pieces of the sub to the north coast of Colombia on, on trucks. And when they get there, they're going to weld them all together. And then once the sub is ready to roll, they're going to load it up with the cocaine, seal the hatch, and boom, off you go. It's more than a thousand miles from Barranquilla to Miami, but Alex and Wayne aren't planning on sending the sub to South Florida. They're going to send the submarine to Europe, <laughs> where the Europe, where where the price of cocaine is much higher. So they're going to send this sub all the way to the coast of Spain, where, of course, Alex has a bunch of friends. <laughs> so he's cultivated... Everybody likes Alex. Everybody. So he's cultivated these Spanish partners, and these guys, when he says the word, they're ready to get out there and collect the packages. It would be a 9,000-mile round trip. The submarine is designed to hold 10,000 kilos of pure Colombian cocaine. Say that again. 10,000. 
thousand kilos of pure <laughs> Colombian cocaine in a submarine. This, of course, is a massive step forward in the smuggling trade, because each load at ten thousand kilos is worth about three hundred million dollars. Alex and Wayne became so fond of this submarine that, uh, at least the sources told us, they gave it a nickname. They called it Twinkie. The best part is the white filling. So it's the year 2000. They're getting ready to roll. They're getting ready to load the three pieces of the sub on the trucks for delivery up to uh, Barranquilla on the north coast. And then a very typical drug trade incident occurs. Well, it's hard to keep a secret for three years. One day, Wayne brings a guy by the sub work camp. He's a fellow trafficker, a Colombian guy, a, a friend. friend. A friend. Yeah, a friend. He checks out the sub. You know, they have a few beers, whatever. They, they head off to a party. Wayne doesn't think much of it. Alex doesn't even know about it. But what happens not long after that, this friend of theirs, he's arrested. He's extradited to the U.S., and there he faces trafficking charges. Once this guy spends a little time in detention, he realizes that he may have something to trade in exchange for leniency. You hear so many stories of betrayal throughout uh, the drug industry. and uh, But when you talk to the DEA guys and you ask them about the origin of a successful operation, you know, how, how did this thing get started? How did you learn about X, Y, or Z? They, they always say, Oh, you know, we just ran across that one day, or, or we just happened to bump into we that We just guy. happened to be an hour outside of Bogota. Yeah. I mean, look, they're, they're protecting the confidential informants. They're protecting their operations, I understand. So, so you basically do this song and dance with them. I received a call from General Guillebert, the commanding general. This is Leo Aragon again. He was the head of DEA operations in Colombia at the time. And he asked if I would go with him on a helicopter ride to an area that might be of interest. We don't know what's in there. He didn't explain what it was. We landed very close to uh, the international airport. The area is a area where there's no gas stations. Nowhere near there, I don't think. There were little stands of people selling gum, peanuts, uh, maybe some drinks. And it's a very poor area, but it was close to where roses and uh, are being harvested. Did notice when we arrived that the building had a lot of security cameras all around it. We thought it was going to be some t- sort of lab, laboratory, and all of a sudden we found this submarine, and it was the biggest thing I've ever seen. Alex and Wayne aren't there. They're, they're away from the warehouse at the time. But news of the discovery of the sub, it is all over national TV in Colombia. Well, Colombian police, the DEA, they're choppered in by helicopter from Bogota to see this thing. They're crawling all over the sub. Yeah, and that brings in a lot of international media as well. Like the Associated Press picks it up. Dozens of media agencies pick it up. Everybody is scratching their heads trying to figure out what this thing is, what it's capable of. Here's Leo Aragon again. And it did give me a chill because, uh, number one, I've never seen something. I've seen them in the museums. I looked at it, and it was a captured sub that's in the museum. I said, this reminds me of that. I said, I could not believe that a narco trafficker was going to use something like this to now take drugs, smuggle drugs, into the United States and possibly Europe. Alex's submarine even had a decompression chamber. This is Keith Curtis from the DEA. I think everybody was surprised 
not only because of the, uh, the high quality workmanship of the, of the craft, but also where it was and how he was, the, lo the logistics involved with transporting it to wherever they were going to put it. It was located in a, essentially a, uh, a very rural suburb of, of Bogota up north, 20 some miles, I would guess with the nearest beach being several hundred miles and quite a few mountaintops in between. Obviously, Alex was changing his methods. Submarines, imagine. Very bold. Here's Leo Aragon. There was a lot of money to be made if that was successful. DEA doesn't have that capability to detect any submarine that would have been that type of submarine that deep. It would have had to been our U.S. Navy Coast Guard. They may have the capabilities, but unless they're dealing with intelligence, intelligence that's directing them to look at an area through our intercept programs, it was basically wide open. They could have done a lot of harm. DEA people, we have certain limitations, and that was something that was way out of our league. Sometime later, word filters back to South Florida, to the people who knew Alex DeCubis growing up, that he built a submarine. That it just reinforces how smart Alex is. This is Mike Pedersen, Kevin's brother and former teammate on the high school wrestling team. How the heck does a guy, wrestler from Palmetto High School, University of Georgia dropout, advance quickly in a drug trade, should have owned his own company, employed a bunch of people, or been a coach and an asset? He should be working for Lockheed Martin or something respectable job and paying taxes like everybody else. He goes out and builds submarines. He's a smart guy. That's how smart he was. When Alex and Wayne find out that their sub has been discovered, they're devastated. They still believe in the basic premise, smuggling cocaine beneath the surface of the water. However, before we go further, having seen the submarine, what did you think of it? I was just, you know... I'd always conceived in my mind what it would have looked like, but it totally blew me away because it, it's just it, the because size it of was it. in it. Because it was in a cow pasture with a cow <laughs> next to it. Well, yeah, there were a lot of things about it. You're right that that uh, you know made made the whole experience really colorful. But I think the size, just the scope of the thing, when you when you look at it there, you you realize how what an undertaking it was, and also how much it could have taken. Well, first of all, it's massive. Second of all. It, you or I walking through it, uh, even if you're the tallest person out there, you're not going to hit your head. This was not... Inside. We're talking walking in, inside, inside of it. Inside the submarine. You could stand up fully and still have several feet before your head would, would be able, even able to touch the ceiling. It, yeah. It's massive. And then you put one piece you know, back to back with another and then the third. And I mean, it's The it's welding just... is well done. Yeah. It, it is... It looks like the real deal. Yeah, they, they had done an incredible amount of uh, really highly skilled, uh, detailed work on it, and and that's you know that's the other thing, the, the fact that 16 years later, it's it's still sitting out there, and, and it's rusting in the middle of a field. It's right next to somebody's house. Yes, and then right next to that, of course, is the um, the prison for policemen only. I, we couldn't quite figure that one out. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's quite a scene. Yeah, for but, sure. But what do they decide to do? They decide to build another one. 
But this sub is much smaller. They build it in Medellin, in a warehouse, in the center of town. It's basically, it's one of those semi-submersibles that we discussed earlier. And they build it very quickly. It only takes them three months. And when they're ready to roll, Alex and Wayne transport this to, to the north coast. And they take it to this beach called Palomino, which today is is a, a, a bit of a tourist attraction. But back then, um, but it, it is fronted. Empty. It is fronted by by jungle. Yeah, so, so yeah. You, you could literally build it and then bring it out to the beach. Yes, yeah, so, which is basically what they did. They assembled it there um, under the protection of paramilitary guerrillas who were controlling the area. And then one night, when they're all ready, under cover of darkness. And they bring it out. It's uh, it's a test run, but it's taking longer than they expected to get the vessel out into the water. They're using a forklift to move it down the beach and into the waves. The sun is going to come up. And so the paramilitaries are getting nervous. They're, they're concerned that the police are going to show up, discover what's going on. So they pressure Alex and Wayne, hey man, speed things up. And this is never a good idea. Alex and Wayne get the sub out into deeper water. It's 200 feet. Wayne and a two-man crew are inside the sub working the controls, and the sub starts to take on water. It turns out that the forklift had punctured the hull. The two crewmen jump out of the hatch and swim away from the sub. But where's Wayne? The sub suddenly tilts upright, and it goes straight down, taking Wayne with it. Wayne drowns with the sub. People who knew Alex at the time told us that he was destroyed. And and Alex was telling friends that that Wayne had been very distraught over the discovery of the first uh, sub, you know, considering all the effort that they'd put into it. Uh, Alex was also telling people that the fugitive life had really, really gotten to Wayne and he'd become increasingly paranoid. Alex came to believe that Wayne had decided to go down with the ship. That was the end of Alex DeCubis' submarine career. But it wasn't the end of his story. Here's Keith Curtis of the DEA. Alex let us know where he was when uh, his submarine was discovered in, uh, just outside of Bogota. You can listen and subscribe to the Pin Kings podcast in the ESPN app or download and listen on Apple Podcasts. You can follow Pin Kings on Twitter at ESPN Pin Kings. That's at ESPN Pin Kings. A preview of the next episode follows this message. Up next on the SC Featured Pin Kings podcast, we'll get to know the characters better, Alex and Kevin. At night, he was he had a bottle of Seeger Sevens uh, going downrange already, but the drinking became worse. He had some of his men burn up on the airfield in front of him. I know many were taken prisoner of war. I see my dad looking through the windows. What the hell are you doing here, Dad? 